Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. I thought I'd do a little video of this as well, just uh, for the heck of it. Uh, down in my basement just a day after the U.S. Open. Of course, uh, what a busy couple weeks for me and our entire team at ESPN, which is, as usual, did an incredible job. So kudos to them. Uh, kudos to the fans that uh, coming back to the Open after not being there last year, the tournament still went on, uh, was still uh, played last year. But boy, to have the fans come back this year the way they did and bring the event to a whole nother level. And the players delivered uh, from the first day. I mean, we actually covered the qualifying. If any of you watched that the week uh, before the U.S. Open started, of course, little did we know we'd have a player come through the qualifying and win the tournament the way Emma Raducanu, the 19 or uh, 18-year-old from England, was able to win it against the 19-year-old Layla Fernandez from Canada. I mean, they just lit up the entire tournament, not only with their play and with their versatility, uh, but just the way they embraced the moment. Uh, it was an, an absolutely incredible run by Fernandez to beat Osaka. You know, that was a match where you were like, okay, well, maybe it's Osaka's had her, her issues and not been able to play as much and, you know, took a long break from the French Open. So you, that wasn't that surprising that Osaka would lose. Uh, but even after Fernandez beat her and what was a tremendous performance and she was on the ropes in that one, would you have thought, okay, she's going to go on, she's going to beat an inform Hal, uh, not Hal, uh, Kerber, who had won the, <clears throat> excuse me, this tournament before and was now you know back playing at a similar level. And then when she beat Svitolina, a player who had a couple of great wins, including one over Halep, who had started to come back from her injury, played pretty well to get as far as she did. And Svitolina, one of those you know, top female players that you're like, okay, is it, is it her turn now? Because she's certainly paid her dues. She's been close many times before, not into a final, but deep in majors. She dismisses her relatively, well, not easily, but it was another, another tense match. Then she plays Sabalenka, who was absolutely crushing the ball, had a great summer for her getting to the semis of Wimbledon the first time she went that far uh, in a major. She backs it up as the two-seed, gets there again, and it's Fernandez who holds her nerve a, a bit better in that final set to win that. And then the, here she is in the final against, oh, yeah, Radicanu, who comes through the qualifying uh, we were following her a bit in the qualifying. Now, this would be a good story to watch how she does in the main draw. We saw what happened at Wimbledon. She got to the fourth round there. She electrified the crowd at Wimbledon because, of course, she's English um, and her play. And then she you know, got a little overwhelmed in her match against Tomjanovic on court one, walks off the court in the middle of the match down a set and three love. The, it, it just got too much for her emotions. She got a little bit of anxiety during the match. She was having trouble breathing, sort of catching her breath. So you're thinking, okay, you know, this, this happens. And, uh, you know, good for her for being very upfront about it after it happened, talking about it, talking to the press. 
And then she comes to the U.S., plays a couple of smaller events, does well in a couple of them, but doesn't win them, but, you know, gets to the final of one and then comes to the New York to the U.S. Open. Okay, well, let's play the qualies. Well, maybe she's a little tired because she's played a lot in the last couple of weeks. That's what her team told me. They were even sure if she was going to play the qualifying. So she plays it, and uh, lo and behold, she goes on and wins a tournament. But what, what, what I loved about the two finalists – Okay, Radicanu and Fernandez was obviously the way they they played, the way they captured the imagination of the public. But I also love the way they actually played the game. I mean, they both can take the ball early. They both can play drop shots. They both not afraid to come to the net. They're both being aggressive on second serves return, attacking down the middle, maneuvering the ball, playing safe when they could play safe variety to their game and it was it's awesome to see because i mean there's a lot of great female players that just bang the ball you know you, you obviously osaka's one of them you know she doesn't have that much variety to a game same with sabalenka great power player you know serena obviously a great power player but she became an even better all-around player as she you know got a little bit older got more experience could play the slice could come in but essentially she's you know basically a power player from the ground intimidating and now you had two young women, both of them teenagers, neither of them that particularly big, certainly not that tall, playing just this incredibly athletic, interesting game, variety. So I thought that was was super cool, even though the match went uh, straight sets relatively easily um, for Raducanu. Uh, not easily, I shouldn't say that. It was cl- a lot closer than the score indicated. I just got off uh, with my buddy, the Mad Dog Russo, on SiriusXM doing his show, uh, if you don't know the Mad Dog, he's a huge sports radio talk show host in the U.S., does an amazing job, and he's a huge tennis fan. He's become a good friend of mine over the years, so he often has me on. He's going crazy about the fact that Radicanu, you know, took a, a medical timeout when she was at break point serving, trying to serve out the match. You know, she'd had blown a match point. She was obviously getting a little bit tight. She does that incredible slide skid to get to a ball from Fernandez. And in doing so, she cuts her knee because she slides down on her left, I think it was her left leg. And she gets ready to get, you know, she gets up to play the point after losing the point, And there's blood coming down her leg. Now, it's an automatic rule that if you have blood anywhere in your body, it has to be bandaged up. It has to be taped up. So he's going crazy about that. That's what, this is terrible. This is a similar to what happened with, you know, players taking too much time on bathroom breaks and, you know, changing clothes, leaving the court. And I'm just like, wait a second. This is absurd, Chris. I mean, I love Chris, but give me a break. I mean, this is not, she's absolutely going by the letter of the rule, which is you, you get, you, even you get blood on your elbow, okay? And you, even so, you know, the rule says you have to get that, taped up now could it have taken less time than five minutes i guess it could have of course it could have oh but put a band-aid on it chris says well they went over they looked at it they cleaned it up fernandez seemed to get a little bit annoyed i can understand that at such a moment in the match that you know it took longer than it took anyway so um that was to me a small deal uh tremendous tournament overall you look at you know, Barty, who went out to Shelby Rogers with a big win for Shelby, who then lost to Raducanu, who just, had, just thoroughly outplayed her. Uh, so you think Barty, you know, had a great year, will finish likely number one. I wonder if she's actually gone back to Australia because you got to quarantine when you go back there, or will she play the BNP Paribas Open out in Indian Wells in a couple of weeks? I'm guessing she will play that. Uh, hopefully Serena will come back. I don't think she's going to come back at all this year. 
Uh, Osaka, big question mark. Obviously, she was, uh, you know, stated that she's going to take a break from tennis for a while. We saw her, uh, you know, have you know issues, have difficulty smashing her racket, and just overall, you know, not looking comfortable, not enjoying the game. She said she's not enjoying it. She only feels it's. Uh, what did she say then? When she loses, all she was, she just doesn't want to lose. There's no joy in playing the game. So you hate to hear that, you know, because especially when you watch these two teenagers, you're like, you know, they look like they they love to play tennis. They really enjoy playing. Of course, they want to win. Fernandez was was upset to lose, but. Uh, and, and let's hope that Osaka can find that because clearly, you know, tennis leads her. It would be great to have her back, you know, where she belongs, which is uh, right at the top, which you expect is where she'll be if she's happy and healthy. On the men's side, uh, I mean, it just, I can't say, I, I, I mean, I predicted Medvedev was going to win it at the beginning of the tournament. Why? Because, again, I, I honestly felt that it was going to be too much for Djokovic. Uh, the pressure building, the difficulty in playing, uh, you know, and again, this is before the tournament, so before the draw even came out, I thought, well, uh, the difference on hard court to me at the moment than on a grass court where Novak still dominates, you know, one Wimbledon essentially without really being, it was tested a little bit in the final against Berrettini, but after the first set, it was never really in doubt that he was going to win that match. Similar to when he played Berrettini here in New York. In fact, he told me in the on-court interview after the match that that was the best three sets he played in the tournament against Berrettini. But then he's got to go play Zverev. Okay, and Zverev is a guy that can beat him backhand to backhand. You know, a lot of the time serves bigger, moves not quite as well as Djokovic, but pretty darn well, especially for a guy his size that plays with his firepower. So he was able to hurt Djokovic off both wings uh, from the ground. Okay, uh, which is not what Berrettini. Berrettini could basically only hurt him with a forehand. His backhand is is solid, but it's not great. It's not an offensive shot. It uses the slice a lot more. So Novak, you know, goes through uh, earlier in the tournament. You know, where the crowd was sort of against him early on. You remember in the opening round against Rune, people just wanted to see a match, so he got annoyed by that. Uh, dropped a couple of sets here and there. Brooksby was a breath of fresh air. Nice to see a young American guy. Uh, push Djokovic and take that opening set 6-1 before Novak sort of navigated his way and, and sort of worked the young guy over. Like, okay, I'm going to have to run you. I'm going to have to grind you down. And that's what he did. And, you know, and, and, then, and then he's got to play Medvedev in the final. And Medvedev, as I said, if you were watching at the Australian Open, I picked Medvedev to win that match. Okay? And he got steamrolled by Djokovic. But the reason, in my opinion, he got steamrolled is because he didn't understand what exactly it was going to take to beat him in that kind of match. You know, he's beaten him before in the ATP finals. He's beaten him in Cincinnati uh, where, you know, Joe, no, Novak's going to play hard, but he's not going to go to the wall if, he, if, if, it's not, if he's not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? Like in the majors, especially over the last few years, he sort of saves himself. He'll play, he plays hard. It's not like he tanks it. But he, he, he doesn't, you know, expend every ounce of energy he has to try to break the other guy down. And uh, Medvedev didn't realize that that was going to be what it would take to beat him in a big match, I believe, when they went and played in that Australian Open final. He came out there, Medvedev was like, I'm going to swing away, I'm going to go for it. And that's not going to work because Djokovic is too good. You can't out-hit Djokovic in a big match in best of five you're going to have to basically beat him at essentially his own game. 
And that's what Medvedev did. And, and again, you can sit there and say, which is true, that Djokovic was physically, mentally, emotionally spent, which it appeared that he was, okay, in, that, in the final. But for that to take hold and for, the, for him to feel midway through the second set, early in the third set, for him to feel in his bones, that, which is the way I think Djokovic felt, I can't win this. I can't turn this around, which is what most players feel when they play Djokovic, particularly after a set or two, you know, when physically they get drained and, you know, he just has too many options in front of him. And I think that's what Djokovic realized because Medvedev came out and he played, you know, went big on the serve, mixed up the second serve, went for some huge second serves, played some slow ones as well. But in the baseline rallies to me, it was the most significant uh, part of the match. He, when Djokovic gave him an angle, when he pulled him wide and he had an opening, he would take it. But if Djokovic just played down the middle, Medvedev, I'll play down the middle. You want to play backhand cross, not take a risk, play essentially to the center of, court, center of the court, I'll do that. You want to play a backhand slice right down the middle, I'll play a backhand slice down the middle. He did that repeatedly. I think, he, I think the stat was, I didn't have him in front of me during the match, but somebody said to me today, I was at our, our tennis academy at Randall's Island, Johnny Mac Tennis Academy. I stopped in there for a couple hours, check on the kids. Um, I think he told me one of our coaches, 16 of the 17 points that went over a certain number were won by Medvedev. And I don't even know if that's accurate. It doesn't even matter if it's accurate or not. But what matters is that Djokovic felt that. He knew that this guy was going to, as I, I've said before, go to the wall. What does go to the wall mean? It means you, you're sending the message to your opponent early on in the match. You're going you're gonna to hit big serves. You're going to hit big winners. But there's going to be times, there's going to be points where you're going to say, I'm perfectly content to just play safe, to play down the middle, to not go for much because I know that I can outrun you. I can outwork you today. Drink True, okay, T-R-U, unbelievable drinks. I started getting them uh, this summer from my man, Jack McNamara, who started this company in New York. They make the stuff in New Hampshire, built it in Massachusetts, so it's all American. Uh, the drinks are phenomenal. Whether you're in the classroom, the weight room, the boardroom, the bedroom, this, these drinks are unreal. It's all different flavors. The energy drink, orange mango, true focus drink, apple kiwi, the true power drink, watermelon, the true defend drink, which is with pineapple, the rescue drink, blackberry, the true dream drink, cherry. I, I've had them all. I mean, they're all unbelievable. Absolutely. There's just a tiny bit of sugar in them, but they've got all these different antioxidants and great stuff, vitamin, ginger, echinacea, um, Korean pear, electrolytes. You get the true dream drink for the chill out at night, the chamomile to uh, put you in a mellow mood. Anyway, absolutely love these. They call them function with fizz because I love, I always love sparkling water drinks i have tons of different sparkling waters and the great thing about the drink the true is that they have just that little bit of sugar because i always get that, that that tiny bit not a lot just a tiny bit to give it that extra flavor so you get 30 percent off the site-wide with the code patrick or saints i'll go with patrick at drinktrue.com. okay this is for all for everything you get all the drinks subscriptions one-time purchases gear whatever you want again go to drinktrue.com that's drinktrue t r u .com
And that's normally the message that Novak sends and delivers. And Novak, of course, the, uh, the brilliance of him over the years, particularly the last five, six years when he's dominated, is he's added so much versatility to his game. Play the slice. Play down the line. Take risk. Take more risk on the second serve, which he's been able to serve and volley a little bit, which he, he tried to do in this match. He was actually pretty successful at it um, through the first couple. It was one of the only things he was successful at because Djokovic, I mean, uh, Medvedev was so far back behind the baseline. Uh, so it worked at times. But over the course of the match, Medvedev, he just continued to put the ball down at his feet, make him play one, make him play another. And I thought that was the key to the match. Now, obviously, Medvedev, the guy's a wall. I mean, the guy's six foot six. And as I said during the broadcast, you know, I, I compare him to NBA players. He moves like he's six two. You know, and you, you, you go, you see the great Rod Laver there. He was five nine, his height. And then you saw. You know, after the Laver era, you saw Borg come, and he was a little taller. And then my brother, about the same, maybe slightly taller than Borg, very similar, you know, six feet. And then you saw, you know, Connors was in that same uh, size-wise. Lendl, about the same. Then you see Sampras come. He's, you know, a little taller, six one. Agassi was a little, sh- not that tall, but obviously incredibly explosive. Agassi, to me, was like the first guy, the first male player, that took the new rackets to, you know, kind of where he could go big off both wings. Like he could hit the ball huge off both sides consistently. Still to me, Agassi was the greatest just pure ball striker I've ever seen off both wings on the ground. Didn't have the same spin, didn't have the same variety as, you know, Roger, Rafa, obviously Novak, uh, um, but he just, if, if, he's like a ball machine. If you hit it, just boom, he'd hit the ball harder and bigger off both wings than anybody still I've seen. Now, obviously, Djokovic is just way quicker, much better movement, better serve, all that. So Andre was the first guy. I, mean, I think it was the Prince, was it the Graphite? I think racket he used, the first one that was like the oversize, and he would just pound. Now, of course, he could do that with any racket, but that sort of elevated the way the game was going to, to where now you've got players that can go big off both sides consistently. And if you can't do that, like, you know, Berrettini can't go that big on the back end. He can huge forehand, massive serve, very good mover, uh, but can't quite go that big. So it was, uh, it was a textbook vintage performance, I thought, by Medvedev strategically. And then he was able to execute the game plan um, throughout the match. You know, a little bit of a hiccup trying to close it out with a couple double faults. It was uh, very emotional for Novak, as you heard him say post-match on the, uh, uh, during the trophy ceremony, that he finally felt the love that he, he, from the New York crowd. He's felt it, I think, in other... I mean, this is sort of a theme that's gone on everywhere around the world, but there's other places where I think he, it's, it's been more accentuated for him in New York for some reason, you know, because it's so vocal. Night session, you know, Arthur Astey, the biggest crowd by far, just under 24,000. And, you know, you could see it building during the tournament. They were sort of getting on him early. He got really irritated at a couple of things, you know, a couple of annoying fans clapping in his double faults and, you know, getting under his skin, even in matches that he knew he was going to win. Um, but it was, it was awesome to see and it was awesome to hear him say that he felt touched and it touched his heart and it touched his soul. And I believe him. I mean, I think he's a genuine guy. Look, you can, we can go through the list of, of – some stupid things he's done uh, in the past. But for the most part, I think the guy deserves to be loved. He certainly deserves to be respected. I mean, that, that, uh, that there's no doubt about. It. I mean, there's the Federer fans and the Dow fans that, you know, just love their guy. 
They don't like Novak for whatever reason. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was cool to see. I thought it was a great moment. The New York crowd, uh, you know, kind of got it. They got him. They saw his greatness, particularly in the, in the previous couple matches. You had all the A-list celebrities showing up for the final because they wanted to witness history. They wanted to be there when, you know, man, the first man since Rod Laver in 69 won the Grand Slam. But this is sports, right, everybody? This is why we love sports because you, ne- you can't write it. You can't write the script. You got to let it play out. And that leads me to the last portion of this podcast, which is how does 2022 play out in men's tennis? We all hope that Federer and Nadal can come back. They're both on crutches. They were both on crutches while that men's final was going on. We saw a picture of Nadal who posted it. Roger has not posted anything, but we, 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 we've heard that. So we want both guys to be able to come back for the sake of tennis. But I think as we saw during the Open, tennis is going to be okay. Okay, tennis is going to be okay. These guys are legends. We get it. But the Alcarazes, the Brooksbys, the Sinners, the Fernandezes, the Radicanus, there's going to be a lot of personality. Corda, Sebastian Corda, American Opelka had a good tournament. There's a plenty of guys and gals that are going to continue this story and, and electrify crowds. But I, for me personally, uh, I would love, you always want to, you see athletes go out on their terms. You know, Agassi had his moment. He wasn't healthy at the end. He went out, you know, in that U.S. Open, very emotional, didn't win it, you know, won a couple of rounds. Um, you know, Sampras walked away as a winner, you know, winning that U.S. Open. He didn't love the game as much as a lot of, I, certainly the, these two guys were talking about. I think Federer just really loves it more than anyone. Nadal loves to compete. He, he's always had an amazing attitude, win or lose. So I hope that those guys can come back and play at a level that's commensurate with who they are. That uh, doesn't mean they're going to come back and have to win everything, but be, you know, even Roger on a bad knee, as we, as we found out, that was still bugging him big time because he had to have another surgery during Wimbledon. He made the quarters. I mean, still a pretty good run. I mean, he, you know, he would have said coming back, okay, not a bad result if he was healthy. You know, there was obviously a bummer the way he went out against Hercots losing a six-love set when he had nothing left and couldn't handle it. Um, but overall, if you said, Roger, you're going to play the quarters and, you know, lose a tight one to a you know, top player, okay, I think he'd be okay with that. Um, so let's see what happens. And the other thing is for Djokovic, it, we've all sort of, you know, predicted over this year, you know, he's going to fly past Nadal and Federer, you know, get to the mid-20s and majors. You know, hold on a second, okay, because it's, it's not you, – you, you take it for granted. You see him win tournaments, just win – you know, it wasn't easy to win the Australian last year. He had a lot of issues along the way. He, the finals was easy. Semis was easy, but not to get there. French, of course, you got Nadal. That was an epic match. Two sets down against Sissipas. Two sets down against another guy, Musetti, a young guy, who a guy like him will get better. Alcaraz, I mean, that guy's going to be rough. Alcaraz may very well be number one in the world in a couple of years. That could happen from what I saw. I was disappointed he walked off the court. I didn't expect that. The way he, he, he just pulled the plug. Obviously, he had issues. You know, I, thought, I didn't realize it was that bad. I hope it's not that bad. I wish he had finished the match, but I understand that I get it. Uh, so it's not going to be – it's not a slam dunk is what I'm saying for Djokovic. I mean, Australia, he's a huge, will be a huge favorite. We hope the Australian Open happens. We hope it happens in Australia. There's some rumblings about maybe that won't happen down there. We shall see. Maybe it'll happen in the, in the United Arab Emirates where they played some of the qualifying last year. 
because of the COVID restrictions are still, you know, insanely uh, intense in Australia. I don't think the players are going to go for that again. So we should know in the next, you know, month or two. There's only four months, basically, until the Australian Open. That's not a lot of time to prepare for an event like that. So don't, don't just say it's it, no vaccine given because now, you know, the, uh, are the floodgates open. I don't know if they're open, but, you know, if Medvedev plays Djokovic right, you know, in three months in the Australian Open final, I mean, who's the favorite? It's not a, it's a, I mean, I mean, you got to see how the tournament goes, right? Sitsipas, Zverev, you know, does team come back? Uh, Alcaraz improve a lot. The last is Sinner improves. So, I, I wouldn't say it's a given at all. At all. It was an amazing couple of weeks at the U.S. Open. Again, thanks to my team at ESPN. Just did an awesome job. I hope everybody enjoyed watching it. Uh, take a little deep breath. Uh, we'll get back into my routine at our uh, McEnroe Tennis Academy. We'll head at the Labor Cup, which will happen in just over a week. I'll be there up in Boston uh, looking forward to that team world. We're coming. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. It's going to be fun. All the best, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the tournament and uh, stay safe. Holding court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.